Good morning. So honored to be able to preach to you this Labor Day weekend. My name is Jordan Brussel. I'm the proud student ministries director at Grace Fellowship Saratoga, and it's a total honor to be speaking to you this morning. Before we begin, I want to ask you a question. What are you most passionate about? If I were to ask the people in your life that know you the best, what would they say? What would the people in the world that are closest to you say that you take the most delight in doing? I'm talking about that one thing in your life that is your biggest passion. What is it? Maybe you're the person who just lives for Friday nights. You're the push person that is pushing through the week so hard just to get to the bar or the club. Work is crushing you. Mondays and Tuesdays are awful. You feel like you are never happy unless you're getting drunk on the weekends with your friends. You are not satisfied unless you're partying it up on the weekends. Or maybe you're the millennial, the 30-something, the 40-something, who lives for work. You're a workaholic. And I don't mean just lives for work, just for work's sake, but I mean the things that come along with work. You love the money that you get from your job. I mean, you live for reaching that monthly quota so that you can see that bonus go into your bank account. Or you live for the opportunity to get that paycheck into your direct deposit every week, every other week. Whatever it is, you are driven by the cash. You work the late nights, the long weekends. You're watching the motivational Gary Vee videos. You're learning about how to make a side hustle. Your whole life has become consumed by money because you want to feel secure. And without money, you are so insecure and you do not want to feel the failure in your life that could come without having it. Or maybe you're the parent that just loves your kids. I mean, let's switch it over to relationships for a second. You are absolutely crazy about your kids. You're the parent that would do absolutely anything for your child. No is not a word in your vocabulary when it comes to your kids. Your kids' happiness is your main goal. You drive them to all their games, all their school functions, you are there for them when they cry. You answer them when they tell you they need help with their homework. You have self-consciously said in your mind, you know what, I'm gonna give my children whatever they want. That is gonna be my primary goal in life. I want them to succeed. I want them to be the best that they can be. That is where I am going to be fulfilled in my life. Maybe that's your passion. You even push at this goal so much you hold your kids so high in your life. I mean, your kids are up here, and your spouse is here, and sometimes you don't want to admit it, but maybe you hold your kids higher than you might hold your spouse. Or maybe even you might be more passionate about your kids than your relationship with Christ. It hurts, but it might be true. Or maybe switch gears in the relationship realm for a second. Maybe you're in a relationship where you are just over the moon for your boyfriend or girlfriend. You love how much your boyfriend pays attention to you, the way that he is always thinking of you and being romantic, the way he makes you feel when you show up to an event or a party and you're just latched onto his arm and you love that feeling of everyone seeing you with him. The way he makes you feel in those truly romantic moments are just a fairy tale. There are even times where you feel that you cannot go without talking to him. You constantly text him through the days 
and wondering why he's not texting you back so quickly, wondering what could he be doing that's possibly better than texting me back right now. The times that he lets you down, you feel a level of hurt that could not be described because you have given him your everything. So how could he ever imagine giving you anything less? Well, all of these examples that we hear today are examples of times that we put things above God. In this sermon today, you're gonna hear me talk a lot about what I call lowercase g gods. And those are gods or idols that we put above God, capital G God, when we shouldn't. Timothy Keller is a famous author and preacher, says that our hearts are like idol factories. They will always find something new to make a God of in our life. They will always find something new to make an idol of. And so I say to you today, everyone has something or someone that they take delight in, something they are passionate about, and possibly, or most definitely, something they have made a deep pleasure of. So here's my question for you today. What is your highest joy in life? What is your deepest pleasure? I'm certain that this thing that may have let you down a time or two, or this thing or person that may have left you feeling empty has totally left you feeling like you've been destructed, like you've been taken advantage of. Have you ever noticed that though? All of the earthly things in our lives, whether we want to admit it, whether it's a person or it's a thing or any of the examples that I just mentioned, have you ever noticed that earthly things always wind up leaving us feeling empty and unfulfilled? Just to get vulnerable with you for a second and a little bit personal, I have grown up in Grace Fellowship Church my whole life. My parents brought me to church here at a very young age. I grew up in a Christian family. I knew all the do's and don'ts of Christianity. But if I could be honest and just vulnerable with you for a moment, when I was in high school, my idol or my lowercase g god was a giant umbrella of a theme that took over everything I did in my life. And that lowercase g god when I was in high school was status. I wanted to be a popular person in high school. I wanted people to know me. I wanted the popular friends. I wanted to date the pretty girls. I wanted to be known by other people. By the end of high school, I was left feeling empty though. I had chased after all of the things that the world had to offer, being on the basketball team, having people walk down the hall and know me, being friends with the popular people and hanging and drinking and partying with them. I had chased after all of those things and by the end of high school, I was left feeling empty. So what is the answer? You probably already know where I'm going with this. Our idols let us down. And here's the answer. You probably already know where I'm going with it, but I'm gonna say it anyway. The answer is finding delight in the presence of God. I know, it's not rocket science. You probably could have guessed that I was gonna say that. Many of us know that answer and yet still continue to run to the idols in our life that continue to leave us unfulfilled. Why do we do that? Why? That's the part we get stuck on though, why? Why would I want to find delight in the presence of God? We ask ourselves that same question all the time which makes us run back to our idols. Why would I want to find delight in the presence of God? Or maybe it's not as much of the why for you, but maybe it's more of the how. I know why I am supposed to find delight in God's presence, but how? How do I find delight in his presence, and what does that look like for me? Well, today I want to dive into Psalm 16 uh, and talk about 
finding delight in God's presence, and I want to get into specifically the why and the how we delight in God's presence. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the author of Psalm 16. David was the author of many of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And David was a person who had much to say about the world's offerings. I mean, we just went through a few different examples of idols that we have in our life. And David was a person who had lived life. I mean, if you want to talk about someone who's experienced life, David had lived it. David had lived life for all of its glory. He lived it even for all of its pain. He was a person who was anointed at an early age by Samuel to be king. He'd conquered the largest enemy anyone had ever faced in Goliath. We all know the famous story from Sunday school, David and Goliath. He slayed tens of thousands of men in battle. He slipped into his own harmful earthly desires, however. He was sleeping with a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who was not his wife. Not only was she not his wife, she was someone else's wife. Not only was she someone else's wife, but she was his best friend, Uriah's wife. And not only was she Uriah's wife, but David had Uriah killed in the front lines of battle. So David, I mean, he really lived life for all of its glory, for all those amazing things that we know him for doing, and even lived life for all of its pain as well. All of the life he had experienced and everything that I just mentioned He'd experienced it all, and yet he was still coming back for delight and pleasure in the presence of God where it was meant to be found. David was known as a man after God's own heart. Now, many of you may be thinking, but Jordan, like, I get it. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for years now. I understand what it means to walk with Jesus, and, and I do delight in God. Or maybe you've come in here this morning seeking out Christianity for the first time, or maybe this is your second or third time here, and you're still trying to figure it out, and you're not a follower of Jesus. You're chasing after pleasure and earthly delights. I mean, you'll just admit it. You're like, Jordan, trust me, I'm going after all the earthly things, and I've got no regrets. Like, I'm just going for it right now. But you've noticed that deep down in your heart, all those things wind up not leaving you satisfied. They wind up leaving you unfulfilled. Well, I believe that today as we're going to dive into Psalm 16 and David's writing here, that there is a message that will lend to be very helpful for us this morning. Because whether you're a Christ follower or not, if you are being honest today, we all want delight and pleasure in our life, which is why we choose to find it in the things that the world has to give us. So today we're going to walk through Psalm 16, and I want to show you what David has to say about delight and pleasure. The first thing that I want us to know is that we must find full delight in God. And I believe that this psalm that we're going to go into today, Psalm 16, is only 11 verses, but it has a lot to show us in the two different parts that it's broken up to. So the first six verses is going to be one declaration that David's making, and then we're going to get into the second part, which is really where I think David answers the why and the how. So in this first part, let's go ahead and read verses 1 and 2 together of Psalm 16. It says this. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. See, right away, David's making a declaration here. He's saying, go ahead, choose God above all else. Choose him above all else. David's saying that in order to first and full delight and pleasure in God, we need to boldly declare and choose him above everything else. 
David chose to serve God and honor his authority above anyone else's. David yielded to God's authority even over the king of Israel. The king of Israel at the time was Saul, and before David had become king, he was going into battle many times with Saul. And many times, David was on the run for his life because Saul wanted to kill him because David had slain so many more people than him and because he was jealous of the life that David was living. But David still chose to yield to the authority of God, even over the king of Israel. He was making a declaration. He was saying, I'm all in on God and what God has for me. There is no good apart from God. Many times he even chose to spare King Saul's life. And later on, even though David had plenty of struggles in his life, which we just mentioned earlier, he was viewed as a man after God's own heart. I have one question for you this morning as we're gonna continue in this psalm, but I just wanna take a quick pause for a second and say, have you made such a bold declaration in your life? Have you declared to choose God above all else in your life? Have you done that this morning? The second part that I think we can learn from the first six verses here is choosing other than God brings sorrow to us. When we run after other gods, we multiply our sorrows. Let's go ahead and read here in verse four. Verse four of chapter 16 says this. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their name on my lips. And as we just said, the sorrows of those who run after other gods will continue. They will multiply they will go on and on. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever noticed that? The times that we run after other gods in our life, these lowercase g gods that we mention, the ones that we just mentioned at the beginning here, when we choose to make idols of those things, these earthly things that are in our lives, have you ever noticed how we multiply our sorrows? One of the things that comes to my mind is uh, seeing a lot of these movies, and, and many of the, the guys in here will know the movies I'm speaking of, or a lot of those classic Italian mob movies like Goodfellas or Godfather. And so many times in these life, these guys have made the decision. They're saying, I am gonna run after these other things, whether it's money, power, status. They're saying, I'm gonna run after these things and I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna try to rule the land. I'm gonna try to get as much money as I can. I wanna be the boss and I want status. Have you ever noticed that in those movies, they're just multiplying their sorrows? Have you ever noticed that everyone in those movies winds up either dead in jail or in witness protection, which isn't really a good thing if you think about it because you lose your identity, right? There's so much sorrow that gets multiplied in all of these movies. Or maybe if we go back to the, the drinking illustration or the partying illustration, right? And you've just had that awful week. Like we said, Monday and Tuesday just aren't doing it for you. You aren't able to get ahead at work. You're feeling beaten up. You're feeling like you're losing in life. And so what do you do? You go to the bar or the club hoping to have one drink two, three, four, five, six, seven, however many it takes to forget the pain and to escape the pain that you had all week at work. But then what happens? You wake up the next morning with a spinning headache, pounding. You can barely even wake up and stand up. And when you do, you get sick, you're throwing up, and you're just having an awful morning when really you thought the night before what you were gonna do was get rid of your pain. But what happened? You just multiplied your sorrows. 
The last part of this first section of Psalm 16 is found in verses five and six, and I'm gonna read that right now for us. It says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And I think the next part that we need to know is we need to acknowledge and allow God's sovereignty in our lives. Acknowledge and allow his sovereignty in your life. Because really what God is trying to give us here and what he's trying to say is I am here to protect you. No, not necessarily protecting you from all the danger and the harm that could happen in your life, but I am here to protect you because I have control over you. So many times we get scared of the word sovereignty and we think, oh man, God's sovereignty, I don't know if I want all of his control. I wanna have the control. I wanna have the free will. But here's what we need to know about God is he's gonna do what he wants to. As we read in the Bible and what we learn about him is that God is a God who is way higher, way more powerful, outside of time, way more in control than we could ever understand, but we need to recognize that it's there. Both the protection and the control that God has over us brings us a peace that no thing or person can offer. Because what did we say before? We try to run to these gods, we try to run to these lowercase g gods to give us protection, and they just can't offer that to us. They can't offer us the peace that God can offer us. It's not us losing control over our life to lean into God's sovereignty. That's what I wanna challenge you with from these verses. Lean in to God's sovereignty. It's not us losing control over our life. It's an act of willfully surrendering to his power over us. He already has the power over us and he wants us to lean into him, to ask him for that protection, to lean on him for that protection. Because when we surrender to his power over us, we are saying, God, I want what you have for me because what you have for me is better than anything that an idol or a lowercase g God could give me. Now I wanna take a moment to explain what we see here in verse six, where it says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now, when we see the word boundary lines, there's a little bit of Old Testament context I think we need to understand here. When you go back to the Old Testament, you see how God led the Israelites into the promised land he told Joshua to give the tribes of Jacob border lines to divide them into different boundary lines. So he had given all the different tribes different boundary lines, different border lines for them to live in. God gave all the tribes their own separate land, food, places to harvest, to grow for generations and generations. He was taking care of them and he was overseeing. Now here's the interesting thing that we see here in this verse is we see within these lines, David is saying, there are pleasant places. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. These pleasant places that we see David talking about are not just used for land, but we see it's the same Hebrew word that's used to describe pleasures. The pleasures that we're gonna talk about in just a few moments in verse 11 are the same pleasures that David's talking about here in verse six. So what this means is, therefore, God's sovereignty not only brings us earthly pleasures and brings us earthly boundaries of land and food and harvest and a good place to raise our families and take care of us, not only does it bring us those earthly pleasures, but he's going to bring us, more importantly, pleasures within his presence. The holy land that these people, the Israelites in the Old Testament went to was a place to delight in God's presence. Not only is it used for earthly pleasures, but it's also for his 
presence. David took delight in the boundary lines because they brought him into God's presence. Have you allowed God's sovereignty to bring you into God's presence? So the first part of finding our full delight and pleasure in God is choosing him above all else. That's the first thing that I think we need to do is make that declaration, God, I'm gonna choose you above all else. When we choose God above all else, we're choosing his control and we're choosing his sovereignty in our life over anything else in this world. Now, as I said before, this passage is broken into two parts. That was the first part as we just read those first six verses The second part of the psalm, though, is where I think things really get interesting and really, really exciting. Because remember, as we said at the beginning, we want to answer the why. Why would I delight in God's presence? Like, what's going to happen? And then how? How do I do it? Well, I think we're going to dive into the why a little bit here. And if we go to verse 7, delighting in God's presence brings us wisdom. Let's see what it says here about wisdom in verse 7. It says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me, even at night, my heart instructs me. God provides wisdom to us even when we feel we have nowhere else to go. One of the things that God really used for me in my life when I became a Christian uh, around the age of 20 years old uh, was the, the idea of wisdom. And I really, really enjoyed learning about how God had a plan to guide me through life, to help keep me safe, to make me wise, to give me knowledge. And I found that in the book of Proverbs. And one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs 4, 11 through 13. It says this, I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying that wisdom really is like essential for us in life. Wisdom is life. How many times do we hear the opposite in our culture, though? Whether it's from TV shows, movies, some of our favorite musical artists. How many times do we hear the sayings in our culture or in our society? Do what's right. Say what you feel. You only have one life, so don't mess it up. Do what you want to do. Do what feels right to you. Don't miss out on the opportunity to say and do the things you want. Well, I gotta be honest, I think that sure can be damaging for us. I've uh, just recently gotten married this summer. I've only been married for just about over a month, about a month and a half. And I can tell you that if I said everything that came to mind, the very second that it came to mind, and I just blurted out to my wife the first thing I heard or thought, that would probably not be the best idea, right? It's not wise to just say the first thing that comes to our mind. It's not wise to go with our human instincts and just do what we should do. We need God's wisdom in our life. It instructs us. It keeps us on the path of the narrow. It keeps us where we need to go in our life. We're gonna move on now to verses eight through 10. And the second thing that delighting in God's presence brings us is protection. Let's read here verses eight through 10. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body, my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now there's a lot in here that I think we could really draw from and there's even, if you go forward into the book of Acts, you see moments where Peter and Paul are actually quoting David in this psalm and using it 
as evidence that David prophesied the resurrection of Jesus, which is amazing when he says, you will not let your holy one see decay. But the main thing that I think we need to understand that God gives us when we delight in his presence, when we fully rest in him, is he brings us protection from death. Because God raised Jesus from the dead over 2,000 years ago, he conquered death. That's what this verse means here in verse 10 when he says, you will not let your holy one see decay. That holy one in capital letters is Jesus that he's talking about. He's prophesying Jesus' resurrection. And while I don't think that's the main point, what I think the main point is is that for us, we can know that because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we know that God's promise is that we will not see decay. We will not see death. If we rest in God, if we delight ourselves in his presence, we have protection from death. Because although we may die in our earthly bodies and we, we will die here on earth one day, absolutely, we will not die eternally and we have assurance that we will rest forever in heaven with God. The last verse here uh, is, is our memory verse for this week. It's a, the verse where I think the whole big idea draws from and it really brings the whole psalm together and concludes it amazingly. David says this in verse 11 about eternal pleasures. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's the third and final thing that I believe God brings us when we delight ourselves in his presence is eternal pleasures. Well, first of all, as we started this message talking about pleasures and what we're most passionate about and what we make little g gods of, I have to clarify here what I think he's talking about when he says eternal pleasures at your right hand. I believe that David's talking about the greatest pleasure is to see Christ and be like him. The greatest pleasure in our lives, where the core root of all of our pleasure stems from, is to know who Christ is, to see Christ, and to be like he is, to walk daily with him. That's where I think the greatest pleasure, and if you want to be fulfilled in your life, you want pleasure to overflow in your life, it starts with having joy, fullness of joy, and pleasure in Christ, and to be like him. One of my favorite authors and pastors, John Piper, has a quote, and John Piper is a pastor who loves to to talk about this topic, loves to talk about finding pleasure in Christ, and, and so he's someone who's very well read on this subject, and he has a quote that says this, we love to admire sports figures and music figures and acting figures, admire beauty and admire sunsets, sunrises and mountains and rivers. We are admiring creatures to the core, and I think we are wired to be satisfied by admiring the most admirable and the most admirable is God. Therefore, delight yourself in the Lord means delight yourself in seeing his infinite admirableness. In who he is, know God is admirable. Admire him and who he is. So the root of all pleasure that you were ever meant to find in life is through Christ and his beauty alone. The starting point for your greatest pleasure and how you find it is to be found in the work of Christ and who he is. And I think the work of Christ starts at the cross. It starts over 2,000 years ago, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and then resurrecting three days later. That's where I think we start when we look at the work of Christ and we admire the beauty 
of the cross. So we just spent this time going through this whole psalm, and I know you guys are wondering, like, okay, I got, I got the why we delight in God's presence, because we know the big idea, right? He's going to offer us protection, wisdom, and eternal pleasures, right? But then what's the how? Like, what does this psalm mean for me in my everyday, Jordan? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to go over that right now. The how. We delight in God first and foremost as our Savior and friend. Because he saved us on the cross and because he is our friend, we delight in God as our Savior and our friend in two ways, I believe. The first is this, through prayer. We delight in God as our Savior and friend through prayer. When was the last time that you prayed to God as your Savior and friend? I don't mean just praying to God because you had a tough day and you really just need to go to him because you're in a bind and you only pray once every six weeks or once every few months or eight months. When was the last time you prayed to God about everything that was going on in your life? When was the last time you talked to God as if you were just talking to a friend? We don't have to be scared to come to God as our friend. He says that he is our friend. He wants to hear from us. He already knows every single thought, every single worry, every care in our life, and he wants us to come to him. So we delight in God as our savior and friend by coming to him through prayer. And the second way I think we come to him as our savior and friend is by spending time with him in his word, by reading the Bible and what the Bible says. So the way I love to do it is to actually just mix these two together. We come to him through prayer and through time in his word. Well, how about you open up a verse like Psalm 16, a chapter like Psalm 16, and you pray it out loud. Pray it just as David did. Ask God for all of these things that David is asking God for. And when you do that, when you spend time in God's word daily, when you read it, when you internalize it, and when you pray it, you will begin to have your desires switched over to the desires of God. He will replace your human desires with his desires, heavenly desires. So we delight in God as our savior and friend through prayer, through time in his word, and then the second way we delight in him is through his gifts. God has given us gifts. All of those pleasures that we talked about at the beginning of this message, whether it's something really, really close to you, like a relationship, whether it's your kids, whether it's your husband or your wife, whether it's a relationship like that, whether it's money or drinking or partying, whatever it is, we delight in God through his gifts that he's given us, right? Because a lot of these gifts he's given us are inherently good things. Maybe not so much the getting drunk and the drinking and the partying thing, right? But a lot of the relationships that God has given us are good things. So we let creation point us back to the creator. We let creation point us back to the creator because God is our creator. And all the gifts that he's given us are meant to be enjoyed. God wants us to enjoy the gifts that he's given us, whether it's nature, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's playing games with your friends, whatever it is, whether it's enjoying a nice vacation and looking over the sunset or the sunrise, God has called us to enjoy him through the gifts that he has given us, not the other way around. Because when we try to enjoy the gifts just for the gift's sake, they become the lowercase g gods that we talked about at the beginning. Gifts are not meant to take the place and cannot take the place of the God who created them. 
So that's our big idea today. When we fully delight ourselves in God, he brings us wisdom, protection, and eternal pleasure that nothing else can. And we delight in God as our savior and friend through prayer and through time in his word and through his gifts. That's how we find full delight and pleasure in God. I wanna wrap up our message today with a brief illustration. I'm a Yankees fan, so I'm really not happy that I'm using this illustration, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I thought it was so good. In the 2005 movie Fever Pitch, starring Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore, Jimmy Fallon plays a school teacher from Boston, Massachusetts, and his name is Ben Reitman. And Ben is a huge Red Sox fan. Huge, and I mean not just a Red Sox fan in general. This guy has an obsession with the Boston Red Sox. And this story follows Ben as he meets the love of his life, a woman named Lindsay Meeks, who's played by Drew Barrymore. And the movie tells the story of the two's dating relationship through a season of life. Well, that season happens to be the 2004 World Series baseball season of the Boston Red Sox. Here's the thing. Ben was a Boston Red Sox fan. Not only was he was a fan, he was obsessed with them. He was a diehard Red Sox fan, not just with game tickets, but season tickets. He could go to any home game that he wanted to. Ben was such a big fan that he had Red Sox towels, Red Sox bed sheets, Red Sox glasses, and even New York Yankees toilet paper. Ben's obsession with the Red Sox was big, and he knew it. And as the movie goes on, there comes a breaking point where Lindsay comes to Ben and says, Ben, my work is flying me out to Paris. I get the opportunity to travel there. All expenses paid. I want you to come with me. I'll buy the plane tickets. I'll buy the hotel. I'll do everything. Come with me to Paris. And Ben's conflicted. <laughs> and he's conflicted because the Red Sox are two games out of first with three games left, and the Mariners are coming into town. And in his own words, and I quote, they need me. The Red Sox need me. And she looks at him and says, need you for what? <laughs> and so as all the chuckles go on after that, the movie hits a really, really serious point where Ben has to decide if he's going to choose his girlfriend or his beloved Boston Red Sox. And in a moment of weakness, there's a scene in the movie where he's being counseled about the situation of choosing the Red Sox or his girlfriend. And in this moment of weakness, he talks to one of the middle school boys on the baseball team that he coaches. And the boy is talking to Ben, and he's listening to Ben tell all of his sorrows and his struggles with who he's going to choose. Am I going to choose my girlfriend, or am I going to choose this thing, this thing that's become an idol in my life? Am I going to choose the Red Sox? And this boy makes a very, very profound statement saying, Mr. Reitman, you love the Sox, but have they ever loved you back? And that's how I think we are sometimes. We realize that we have these pleasures and these gods in our life. But such a profound statement, so simple. You love this thing, but has it ever loved you back? Has it ever brought the fullness of joy? Has it ever brought the wisdom has it ever brought the protection? Has it ever brought the eternal pleasures that delighting yourself in God's presence is going to bring? Well, I pray that you would hear those words and really 
think about what it means for you to give up that idol that you have in your life and say, I'm going to declare, declare my obedience to Christ. I'm going to declare that God is my only God and above him I have no other good thing. And then when you make that declaration, you will see what follows. The wisdom, the protection, and the eternal pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we ask that in this moment, you would help us to realize what it means to give up our idols in our life. God, to give up our lowercase g gods. That God, even though it's hard and even though these things constantly leave us unfulfilled and constantly leave us depressed and worried and anxious, but we keep running back to them, God, I pray that you would free us up, stir up in our hearts the affection for you that we need. God, help us this week to delight ourselves in your presence. God, help us to delight ourselves in your presence in a way that brings us joy, God. God, as we look at your word, as we spend time in prayer, God, I pray that you would help us to see that you're our savior and our friend. And I pray that as we take time to enjoy your gifts, God, that you would help us to see that you've created them for our enjoyment, but so that we may enjoy you. God, help us to enjoy you and to choose you above all else. We ask this in your name. Amen.